بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما بسجدوا الشريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد This is our fourth lesson and we're going through the book of Ibn Qayyim رحمه الله which is called Al-Jawab Al-Kafi لمن سأل عن الدواء الشافي the sufficient response for the one who asked regarding a complete cure. And the other name of the book, as is on here, is Adda'u Waddawa. Adda'u Waddawa, which means the sickness and the cure. And it's based on a question which was asked to Imam Ibn Al-Qayyim Rahimahullah. What do the scholars say regarding a person who has fell into a sin, is stuck in that sin, and knows that this sin is harmful for him in this life and also the life of the hereafter? He's, he or she has tried everything to get rid of that sin, but just can't get rid of it, can't get out of the habit. What's the advice? How do we come out of it? And in response to this question, Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah gave a response which became a whole book and said that, look, it's not just, I'm not going to give you a textbook answer. There's, there's a step-by-step -step process. There's so many things you need to understand. So this is very pertinent for our situation, for our condition. So this is the fourth session. Um, anybody that's missed the previous ones, to understand the further ones would be very beneficial for you to follow up on the past ones. They're on YouTube. If you go, you'll find that in your own time. At least you can catch up and you know where we're up to. I can see a lot of people who've been with us from the first lesson. And inshallah, may Allah keep us together until the end. And we pray to Allah that he allows us to complete or get through as much as possible of the book, inshallah, uh, by the end of Ramadan. So the first eight days, inshallah, we'll be having two sessions after Fajr and after Asr and the last five days of Ramadan we'll be doing after Fajr and Asr which totals 26 sessions hopefully we can cover uh, a major part of the book inshallah which will give us some kind of guidance and an answer to our question now I'm not going to do a recap of everything each time because it'll be very difficult and time consuming but what I am going to say is Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah started answering these questions and we went through a number of things however um, in the last session, which was after Fajr today, he spoke about something very important. And he spoke about uh, there's two things that you need to know. There's two things that you need to know. Number one, he said, was this world is a place of cause and effect. Sabab and musabbir. Sabab and musabbir is cause and effect. You do a good deed, you will get a good result. You do a bad deed, you'll get a bad consequence in this world and also in the hereafter. So this is the first thing he said, every single person must learn cause and effect of good deeds and cause and effect of sins as well. We don't want to know about sins, learning about sins, but you have to learn about it so you can stay away from it. You have to learn your enemy's tricks. You have to study that your, your opponent's moves so that you can save yourself. If you don't know your opponent, you know, why do I want to know about the opponent? Why should I learn about shaitan? We, it's, it's a necessary thing to learn about how shaitan works and how he tricks you so that you can stay away from it, not to become like him. So similarly, we have to learn about good deeds and their effects and the sins and the effects that they have. Otherwise, we'll do them thinking nothing of them. So this is, remember he said two things. So the first one was, learn the cause and effect. And what's the second one? Who remembers? 
Self delusion. Despite the knowledge, you'll know what's right and what's wrong. You know that this thing is harmful for you. But stay away and be very careful from self delusion, from over rationalizing and justifying things for yourself. When you see wrong in other people, okay, it'll look wrong. But when you see in yourself, what happens is we start to over rationalize and justify. This is not that, this is different. If I'm doing it, okay. If everyone else does it, it looks very bad. So Ibn al Qayyim rahimahullah is saying, be very, very careful. This is very common and this happens a lot. So it's not enough just knowing. Now, how do you save yourself from that? Well, Imam Ghazali, Rahmat, Ibn Qayyim hasn't mentioned it yet. He's going to mention a lot of things. But Imam Ghazali, I'm just going to quickly share with you something from Imam Ghazali, Rahmatullah. He mentions that one of the easiest ways to protect yourself from that is not to trust yourself, not to rely on yourself. You rely on somebody else. So there's three ways of doing this. Either you need a teacher, and not any teacher, a teacher who is sincere, a sincere teacher. That could be a sheikh, it could be a teacher, it could be a ustad, it could be an elder, it could be a murabbi, it could be a, an educator, but who's sincere. Meaning, who will tell you, if you're doing something wrong, they'll tell you you're doing wrong. They don't really think, oh, what are you going to think? How are you going to react? They don't like tiptoeing around you. They're straight to the point, they tell you. Because they are sincere. They wish good for you. So that's one, that you have a good sheikh, or you have a good teacher, or you have a good muallim, you have a good murabbi, you have a good elder in your family, that you take advice from who is not just buttering you up and praising you. No, when you need to be told, they tell you. That's number one. Or you have a real friend. Imam Ghazali says, a real friend, not a fake one. Not someone who just wants to tell, who tells you what you want to hear, no. Most people tell you what you want to hear. Social media is like that as well. Everyone just like, just like the post, like regardless. Why do people like it so they like my post as well? Just say you look cool, okay? So somebody walks in to work and everyone's like, oh, you look cool today, you look cool today, sick, you know, you look very slick, you know, and this and that. And then later on in the day, someone says, oh, you know, you've got a stain over here. Because what? Like, everyone's been fooling me all day. Like, they've, they've told me everything. And you realize this is the true friend who tells you that the person will appreciate knowing that there's something wrong. So this is a second person that can help you. And the third one's very interesting. Imam Ghazali Rahmatullah says the third person who can rectify your situation is your enemy. Enemy? Yes. Why? You can learn a lot from your enemy, from your haters. People that hate you, they will point out your mistakes, not out of sincerity, out of spite. And you can learn from that. Your friends and close people might not tell you what's wrong with you. But the enemies, they'll shout out about it. People that hate you, you can use that to your advantage. Everybody has some sort of enemy. Okay? The Prophet ﷺ had the most enemies. Okay? The greater a person is, more people hate them. Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi had so many haters. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal had so many haters. Okay? So these people learn to use that to their advantage. Where your enemies, just like the things that they say, they, they, they don't have any barrier. They just say it as it is. So you can pick up a lot from them. Think, hang on. Do I really have this? If I do, I need to change. I need to make myself better. I need to get rid of this. So you can use that to your advantage. So this was from Imam Ghazali. So, and then Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi then took us to a new kind of understanding of husnul dhan. He said, be very, very careful. One of the main mistakes a lot of people make when they're committing sins is they say, we've got husnul dhan billah. We have a good thinking about Allah. We think good about Allah. Therefore, you know, we're fine. It's okay. So he said, no. 
husnul dhan, we're going to translate, not having a good opinion about Allah, we're going to translate it as having the correct understanding of Allah. The correct understanding of Allah. And now he's going to take us into something else, which is hope. Hope. Because hope is linked to husnul dhan. But again, he's going to teach us now, hope, which in Arabic, in Quran, it's called raja. There's a difference between raja and a difference between amani. Not the name Amani, okay? Amani and Raja are two different things. And we have to understand a lot of times we have Amani. We don't have Raja. Raja is true hope. Amani is false hope. Raja is real hope. And he's going to explain to us what real, just like real Husnul Dhan. What's real Husnul Dhan? Who can tell us? The correct understanding of Allah. What's the real one? When, when, when can we do it? What is it coupled with? Good deeds. Yeah, you're doing good deeds and then you have hope in Allah. You have a good understanding of Allah, correct understanding. That Allah is going to forgive me because I'm doing good. Not what we do. We do sins and we say, I've got personal dhanni billah. And we give the example in the morning of a person who swears at your mother. Okay. And then you go and slap that person and say, oh, I didn't expect that from you. you know? Why did you hit me? Okay. What, what? You, you, you haven't got personal dhan regarding me. That's the wrong understanding of me. Why did you think that you're going to swear on my mother and I'm not going to hit you? Of course I'm going to hit you. The understanding you have about me is wrong. If you do wrong to me, okay, I'm going to retaliate. If you sin against Allah, how can you think that you're going to disobey Allah and Allah is just going to keep forgiving you and sending you into paradise? Hope is different. We're going to speak about that as well. But this is the correct, incorrect understanding of personal dhan. Imam Ibn Qayyim is saying, that's not having a good opinion about Allah. He says, how can you have a good opinion about Allah when you're at war with Allah? You're at war with Allah and you think that he's going to forgive you. Okay, that's not. Do the good deeds, make tawbah and have personal dhan. Personal dhan always comes with good deeds. Hassan al-Basri says, personal dhan is always coupled with good deeds. They go hand in hand. You can't have personal dhan with sins. And this is important to understand. Um, so we're going to differentiate between hope, correct hope, and let's call it um, wishful thinking. Um, I, don't, I know it's not the right word, exactly the right word, but you can kind of get where I'm getting to. Fantasy, okay, wishful thinking. Just extended hopes, false hope, not real hope. And um, you know, uh, uh, Brother Hamza, Brother Hamza Totis, the one who deals with atheists, okay? He's got a book called Divine divine what is it divine reality so in divine reality he's got he's mentioned a very interesting point he said that atheists atheists and he's always speaking about theists who are who believe in the oneness of allah and atheists who don't believe in god he says atheists can't ever have hope in this world because they believe everything that happens in the world is a result of randomness everything that happens in the world is a result of randomness there's no reason, there's no cause and you know we're talking about cause and effect. They don't believe in the cause and effect. They believe everything is a result of randomness. So an atheist doesn't have any hope for tomorrow. Very depressing life to be an atheist. Okay? And this is how he challenges them. That like what hope do you have? We believe that behind everything there's a creator and there's a reason why he does it. And we can have hope because if we do the right things in the right way, we have hope that he's gonna make things better for us. And this is our belief system. Whereas being an atheist, it's a downward spiral, it's very depressing. There's no hope for tomorrow. You can't have hope because everything's a result of randomness. So you can't do good and expect good in return. No, because they don't believe in the cause and the effect that we're speaking about all this time. 
We believe in a creator that loves us, has given us a religion that's beautiful, and we can't lose hope. No matter what, the whole idea of why Ibn al-Qayyim went to such a length to give such a long response, he said you cannot lose hope. No matter what, a believer cannot lose hope. You cannot lose hope in the mercy of Allah. But then we have to learn what true hope is as well, not false hope and amani, which we're going to um, speak about. And what, what, when, what's a sign of people losing hope? You know, people say, I don't care anymore, man. I just don't care. Oh, I can't do this anymore. The, you know when you hear people saying stuff like this, you need to jump in. You need to jump in. Emergency. This is urgent. You need to take action. If it's a family member, it's a friend, it's a neighbor, it's a work colleague, you have to jump in. You have to be there for that person. And you need to guide them and help them come out of this depressive state of losing hope. Because Quran says, only those people who are disbelievers lose hope. You lose hope, you've lost faith. So you cannot lose hope in Allah's mercy. So this is inshallah what we're going to speak about today. He's going to introduce to us hope, true hope and false hope inshallah. So first of all, he says that we've understood very well the difference between husnul and the opposite of that he calls it ghurur, is arrogance. Okay, we didn't say this in the morning. So he says the difference between correct understanding of Allah and the incorrect one where you're doing sins and you think, oh, Allah's really kind, Allah's going to forgive me. It's okay. You know, I've got a good place in Allah's sight and he's really looking after me. Okay, he goes, that's arrogance. Because you're, you're at war with Allah with your actions and you're expecting Allah not to take any action against you. So he goes, that is the example of true and underst correct understanding of Allah and the false understanding of Allah. Then he says, the correct understanding of Allah will take you towards hope. It will take you towards hope. And then that hope will take you towards good deeds and it will keep you away from bad deeds. This is, he says, this is the correct hope. Um, otherwise, he gives an example. If somebody claims to have personal done with Allah it's, and, and commits sins as well at the same time, it's like somebody who wants to have children but is not married. Yeah, Allah's going to give me children. Allah's going to give me children. Of course, I'm going to have children. Some people are very optimistic, over-optimistic. And we're going to speak about that now. They're so over-optimistic, they overestimate their capabilities. Yeah, of course, of course, I'm going to get it. And this wishful thinking is, he's saying is very dangerous. Remember, we're speaking about, what was the question, original question? Okay, he, sin. He's giving us a psychology of sin. Why do people fall into sins in the first place? It's not just a textbook answer, I'll just go and do Toba. But it's not working. I have done Toba. I've done Toba loads of times, but I'm still stuck in the sin. So he's breaking it down and, and explaining to us what goes on inside you. What's going on inside your brain? What's going on inside your life? How does it affect you? So, um, a very interesting verse of the Quran, and this is in the Quran. He says, whoever has khusnul dhan, meaning the correct understanding of Allah, that takes you towards good deeds. And then the good deeds will take you towards hope. And he proves this from the Quran. He says, look, Quran says, those people who believe, hajaru, and they migrate. So they're, they're not just sitting back. Oh, I'm a believer, so you know, Allah's going to take care of me. I'm going to get dinner for those. No, they believe and they strive. So they've migrated. They sacrifice in the cause of Allah. Allah speaks about them and says, 
they are the people who have hope in Allah's mercy. These are the hopeful ones. Hopeful ones are not those who sit back and say, we've got hope in Allah. No, those who do good actions and strive the most, they have the most hope in Allah. We, we've got it the other way around. We kind of don't want to do anything and say, I've got hope. No, hope comes with good action and striving. These two things go together. If you're sitting back and not doing anything and you claim to have hope, this is not hope. This is wishful thinking. This is having extended unrealistic expectations. This is being overly optimistic and that doesn't work. So can you see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala connects good deeds with hope? And this is, the, he says, this is the secret. Wasirrul mas'ala. He says, the secret, this is the secret, is husnul dhan innama yakunu ma'al ityani bil asbab. The correct understanding of Allah comes with the means that invite good in your life and gaining reward and the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what brings uh, you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no verse in the Quran. He's, he, now he's being a little bit sarcastic and he's saying there's no verse in the Quran that sells you. You know how you have in the Muslimina wal Mu'minati wal Mu'min wal Qanitina wal Qanita over here as well. In the Ladina Amanu wal Ladina Hajar wa Jahadu Fisa Ula'ika Yarjuna Rahmatullah. Allah says those are the people who have true hope because there is no verse in the Quran that tells you in the Mufarritina al Mudayyina li Hukukillah. Indeed, those people who break Allah's commands, who commit the disobedience, who are nasty and horrible to other people. It doesn't say, rahmatullah. They are the people of hope in Allah. No, they are not the people of hope in Allah. That is not hope. That is wishful thinking, he says. So let's go into it now. Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullah says, Now, how do we know that the hope that I have in Allah, is it the true hope or is it false hope? He's teaching us now. So he says, you need to know three things. There are three conditions. Remember this now as we go along. If you can take notes, mashallah, if you can take notes as you go along, that would be really good. Because it, now you're thinking, I remember everything. But as soon as you woke up from here, and these are things like, this is obligatory knowledge. This is fard knowledge. Every Muslim must know because it's knowledge about Allah. You have to know this. If you don't know this stuff, how you're, you're not going to have the right understanding of Allah. And you lead your life in a way where you'll be deceived. So this is something every single Muslim needs to know. It says there are three things that you need to know about hope. Do I have the true hope in Allah or is my hope amani, false hope, fantasy? Am I overly optimistic? Number one, ahaduha, the first thing you need to know is You need to love what you hope. What you have hope in, you need to love. So if you've got hope in Allah, you need to have the love of Allah. If you've got hope for Jannah, you need to have the love for Jannah. True love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number one, love for what you hope for. That's the first sign. Number two, athani, khawfuhu min fawatihi. You need to have the fear of losing it. Fear of losing it. Now, this is, this is a very important point. You know, you've always heard Iman is between hope and fear. Have you all heard this before? Yeah, Iman is between hope and fear. Now the fear that we speak about here is not where you feel somebody's holding a gun on your head. This is the incorrect understanding that people have generally we have about Allah as well. We think if I don't pray, Allah's going to destroy me. He's going to crush me. He's going to throw me into the hellfire. Yes, all those things are there. But the fear we're speaking about is two sides of the same coin. Imagine you've got a coin and it's, a, it's the same thing. So on one side you have hope because you love Allah. On the other side you have fear I give you an example. It's like, for example, the fear you have of your mom. 
Like you grown ups now, everybody's old. Your mom's not gonna run behind you with a slipper or a sandal or even a belt. Or okay, or a high heel shoe. I asked in Madrasa, one of the kids was saying, Oh yeah, that's the punishment we get. Or it was a rolling pin back in the days. So you're old now, you're an adult. You're not you're not fearing your mom's gonna physically come and beat you up. But the fear you have of your mom is you don't want her to be upset with you. Yeah? Or you don't want her to see you doing certain things which she doesn't approve of. So you love your mom to bits. Everybody loves their mother. You love your mother. Okay, so that's one. But then you've got this fear. You're not scared of her. You might be scared of your dad. You're not scared of your mom. But the fear of losing respect in her eyes. Do we, do, are we following? So this is the fear a person should have about Allah. The people who love Allah, the fear they have is they don't want to lose his respect. They don't want to lose their position and fall from his esteem. Because you love him so much, you don't want to lose him. You don't want to lose his value and the worth he has for you and the weight you have in Allah's sight. This is true khawf. And this is two sides of the same coin. Love for Allah and fear of losing him or his respect for you or his position, the position he has, uh, losing your position in fear of upsetting him. Is everyone following? So we've got two things here. Three, you said three parts of hope. Love for that which you hope for. Fear of losing it. And number three, trying every means possible and making an endeavor to attain that which you hope for. Exerting yourself to attain what you hope for. So many of us don't do the third one. We've got hope for paradise. Okay. We've got hope for paradise. We've got hope for, but we don't strive for it. Like to prove if your hope is true, you need all three of these. A lot of us, what we do, we just, we, we, it's okay. I'm going to get there anyway. No, it's a true sign to show that you really have hope. You do everything within your means to get it. So, if you, if you have hope and you don't have any of these three, that's not true hope. That's false hope. And in Arabic, we call that amani. And that is like fantasy. Ibn al-Qayyim says, True hope is something, and false hope is something else. Two different things. So you've got true hope. And then he says, Every person with true hope is also fearful as well. Remember the fear we said? Not the fear of somebody holding a gun to your head. No, fear of losing respect. Losing the esteem. And a person who is on the path, a person who's on the path, a person who's traveling somewhere at night time, um, you're hoping to get there. When you're worried, will I get there or not? What happens? What do you do? When, you, when you're going somewhere, you've got hope you're going to get there. And then this thing comes to you like, what if I don't get there? What do you do? You panic, but as a result of panicking, what happens? What, 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 how does that impact your action? What are you going to do? You're going to carry on walking slowly? You're going to walk fast. You hurry up. They rushed to good deeds. They read really, really fast. They didn't take it slow. Sahaba, the people who had the most fear and the most hope, they had the most deeds as well. This is what we're trying to get to. The true hope will push you towards good deeds. And true fear will push you towards good deeds. If your hope doesn't push you towards good deeds, you've got too much hope. 
That's what it's trying to say. You've got too much hope. If your fear doesn't push you to good deeds, you've got too much fear. You, you need to balance it out. This is what he's teaching us. How to have correct raja and khawf. The true hope and the true fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The, 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 the determining factor is, it has to push you towards good deeds. That's what it means. And there's a beautiful hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example of this. Like people, you get some people that are always late. Okay, let's not look at me. Okay, so some people are always late, right? Now, generally, generally, people that are always late, not all the time, but generally, they are overly optimistic. They're overly optimistic. So I'll see on my sat nav, they'll say 15 minutes to get to the destination. I'll, I'll get there in five minutes. This is being overly you, how, how are you going to get there? The, the, the sat nav is showing you 15 minutes. How will you get there in five It's just your cognitive sense works like this. I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. Some miracle is going to happen. And I'm going to get there in five minutes. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen like that. But this is what happens when somebody is overly optimistic. They kind of overestimate their capabilities thinking, yeah, yeah, I can do it. Okay. It's like I'm thinking I'm going to get through all of this. Okay. By the end, inshallah, inshallah, it's possible. So, so you've got that. Then you've got some people are always on time. Some people are always on time. Generally, generally they are quite pessimistic in their approach because they're always thinking of the worst. They're thinking, wait for, wait for getting late. No, no, we have to set off early. If, if it's like half an hour, let's set off one hour before. Because anything can happen. Anything can, there could be traffic. There could be a problem. There could be this, there could. So this is how they work. And people who are old, can you see? And this will affect you even in life as well. So there's a beautiful hadith that gives us an example of this. The Prophet wasallam said, Man khafa adlaja. Whoever has fear, whoever has fear. So if you need to go on a journey, you've got a flight to catch. Okay, now in the morning there's rush hour. So the hadith says, Man khafa Whoever's got fear, they'll leave in the night time. They won't wait to leave in the morning. The hadith is saying, Man khafa Whoever has fear, they'll leave early in the night. They'll leave in the night time. And then the hadith, Waman adlaja manzil. And whoever leaves early will reach the destination. You might leave, you might get them one hour early, half an hour early, but you know you'll reach that you won't miss the flight. That's for sure, it's guaranteed. Whoever has fear, so can you see how fear drives you? The correct fear is the one that drives you towards action. Out of fear, this person didn't lose hope. Some people, they have too much fear and they become despondent. Yeah? No, this fear is the correct one. It drives you, okay, um, I'm worried I might not get there. Some people are, oh, let's, let me not, let's give up traveling altogether. No, no, no. Let's leave early. And if you leave early, what's going to happen? You're going to definitely get there. You're going to reach your destination. Then he says, Listen very carefully. The merchandise of Allah is very expensive. Allah's merchandise is very expensive. And then he goes on to say, The merchandise of Allah is paradise. Meaning if you want paradise, it's not cheap. It's not cheap. You have to strive for it. You can't just sit back. Okay, you have to set off early in the night. You have to do extra heat. You have to strive as much as possible because the merchandise of Allah isn't cheap. It's going to cost you and it's going to cost you your effort. You can't just have amani, false hope and thinking, oh, it's going to all happen. I'm going to, you know, generous and those Allah has written it for me. I'm going to get there. No, we have to strive. We have to work hard. We have to do as much as possible. 
So if your hope, remember this now, you can tweet it if you want, because this is tweetable. This is something you can put on your profile. And these every quote of Ibn Qayyim and his examples are so profound and so beautiful and so effective. He says, if your hope stops you from action, you've got too much hope. If your fear stops you from action, you've got too much fear. And you need to balance it out. Is everyone following? Yeah, you, if you've got, if your hope is stopping you from doing good deeds, that means you've got too much hope. You can't have that much hope. You, you, the true hope is the one that drives you to do more good deeds, not less good deeds. And fear, how much fear should we have? Well, the fear should drive you like it drove that person to leave early. It should drive you to action. If your fear is leading you to not doing action, you've got too much fear. You need to cut down a little bit. Read some of the hadith on hope, hope in Allah and his mafira. If you're doing too many sins and you're thinking Allah's going to forgive me, well, you need to read some more hadith about the punishment of the grave and standing in front of Allah and the day of Qiyamah and the fire of Jahannam, etc. And bring it into balance. This is what this is all about. So now he's saying, فَعُلِمَ أَنَّ الرَّجَعَ وَالْخَوْفَ النَّافِ this is the beneficial hope and the beneficial fear is the one which is combined with action. If there's good action combined with it, then it's correct. Otherwise, if it's not linked with action, then it's incorrect. And he gives an example with a verse of the Quran. Those people who are fearful uh, out of the fear of Allah. They believe in the signs of Allah. They don't ascribe any partners with Allah. They give from the money Allah has given them. They spend. Whilst their hearts are fearful, that they're going to return to Allah. And then Allah says, They are the people who are running towards good deeds and they are the first ones to cross the line. So can you see, they've got fear. Can you see? Allah is saying that they're spending. So they're doing all the good. They believe. They don't do shirk. They do good deeds. They're spending as much as possible in the path of Allah. But at the same time, they're not sitting back relaxed. They've got fear. What's their fear doing? It's driving them to do more. They know, oh, maybe I've given 10 pounds. It's not enough. I need to give more. I've spent over here, but I need to give here as well. They're thinking, and why are they thinking, well, if this one is, is that accepted, I'm not going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. So the true khawf, and the true raja is the one that drives you towards good deeds. Look, Allah is saying over here, their fear, remember a lot of times when we speak about fear, we think of being depressed and people losing hope and become despondent. No, the true fear is the one which drives you to do more good deeds. Look, it says, These are the people who rush to do more good deeds because of their fear. So the correct fear is the one that drives you to do more action. And they are the ones who are the first ones to get there. Aisha radiallahu anha said, O Prophet of Allah, in this verse of the Quran, is Allah speaking about those people who drink alcohol? And is He speaking about those people who commit zina and theft because their hearts are fearful? And the Prophet said, O daughter of Siddiq, no, no, no. This is speaking about those people who fast, who pray, who give salatah, but they've got fear. What if Allah doesn't accept what we've done? So they want to do even more. They keep trying, they keep trying, they keep trying. And this is what Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah is telling us. So, when we look at the Sahaba, remember in the morning we spoke about Sahaba. 
So Sahaba are like the litmus test for us. They are the benchmark for us. We look at them because they understood it best. And now he's going to give many examples of the lives of Sahaba, how they had both Raja and hope, but the correct hope and the correct fear. We're not going to go into all of the examples because there's loads of examples. I'm going to choose a couple just to give us an idea. So he gives us an example from the lives of the Sahaba. He says, when you look at their example, you can see that their hope, their fear was a motivator to do good deeds. Their raja and their hope was a motivator to do good deeds. And we find examples of this from the lives of Sahaba. For example, he says, look at Ali ibn Abi Talib. Ali ibn Abi Talib ta'ala anhu, he feared two things the most. There were two things that he feared the most. Tulul Amal Tulul Amal, meaning having extended hope. Amani, that we're speaking about, which is wishful thinking, fantasy. You know, some people live in fantasy world. They've got all these big ideas. Really, really big ideas. You know, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna get I'm gonna go there. I'm... Do you know what that does? It makes you forget the now. You don't live in, a lot of people don't live in the now, they live in the future. Like, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna go. And what are you doing now? Oh, nothing. Nothing. I, I, I don't even work. I'm gonna, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a millionaire soon. But he's not doing anything. There's nothing, there's no action, nothing at all. Tulul Amal is very dangerous. A lot of times we fall into this trap. We have all these big, it's good to be ambitious. A believer is ambitious. A believer is optimistic. A believer has hope, but it needs to be Raja. Hope and not Amani, not wishful thinking, not unrealistic expectations, not a fantasy dream world, which you know it's not achievable. So you need to be real and you need to at least, that, if it was true hope, what, you know what it would do now? It would drive you in the now because you try and do whatever you can today because tomorrow is a promise. Tomorrow is a promise. Yeah, you can think about tomorrow, but tomorrow is a promise. So what he's saying over here is he, were, he was scared about two things the most. Tulul Aman, having extended hope and following the desires. If you follow your desires, that's another dangerous one. Following the, it's never ending. If you've got kids, for example, okay, you can relate to it. They ask for a cookie, for example, a sweet, okay? Okay, I'll give you one. Can we have another one? So I said I'm going to give you one. No, we want another one more. One more. You give another one. Can another one? They don't understand the concept of last one. That every single one, last one, another one, another last one, and this carries on. And, it's on. and this is how we are with sins. You can't just do one and then that's it. Because one sin drives you to another one. And you tell your nafs, okay, and your nafs tells you, like, just do one, just one more time. But it, it, it won't be one more time because the nature of it is, it one sin pulls another one. It's connect, they're connected. So he says, these are the things I feel. Look, he's a Sahabi, Ali ibn Abi Talib, radiyallahu anhu, such a great Sahabi. This is the two things I fear the most in my life is having extended hope, amani, false hope, and following the desire. That was Ali ibn Abi Talib. Ibn Abi Mulaika, this is in Sahih al-Bukhari. Ibn Abi Mulaika is a tabi'i. He saw the Sahaba. He says, أَدْرَقْتُ ثَلَاثِينَ مِنْ أَصْحَابِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ كُلُّهُمْ يَخَافُ النِّفَاقَ عَلَىٰ نَفْسِهِ I met 30 Sahaba. He says, I met 30 Sahaba. Every single one feared themselves to be a hypocrite. 30 Sahaba, he says, I met 30 Sahaba. Every single one would feel that they were fake. He says, He goes, none of the Sahaba I spoke to 
claim that we've got Iman like Jibril and Mikhail, like we claim this kind of thing. We're not saying it, but we act like this. Now my Iman's really strong, bro. You know, you can't shake my Iman. I'd never do such a thing. We look down on people and think, ah, I'd never do that. Sahaba were like that. They live between hope and fear. These 30 Sahaba I met, every single one of them, they thought they were fake. Then we have, then we have Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Umar radiallahu Umar bin Khattab, law kana nabiyan ba'di lakana Umar. If there was a prophet after me, it would have been Umar. When Umar would walk, shaitan would change his path as well. It says regarding Umar radiallahu ta'ala, he would go to a sahabi called Hudayfa. Hudayfa was a secret keeper of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told, he didn't tell anybody else, but he told Hudayfa, he, you know that guy, you know this guy, you know this lady, that man, this one, that one. He named them, these all hypocrites. Only he knew, nobody else knew. Umar bin Khattab radiallahu ta'ala would follow Hudayfa around in the streets of Medina. And he would say to him, Anshudak Allah, I swear in the name of Allah, Hal Salmani laka Rasulullah. I'm not asking you to reveal to me the names of the people who are on there. Tell me, is the name of Umar on that list? This was Umar bin Khattab. Tell me, is the name of Umar on the list of Munafiqeen? Umar radiallahu ta'ala is asking Hudayfa, who was given the instructions from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So he said to him, no, your name's not on there. Hang on. I've told you, right? But after today, I'm not going to tell anybody because I'm going to get a line of people outside my house. Now, why do you think the Prophet told Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman the names? He told the signs of hypocrites to everybody. But the names he only gave to one person. You know, after the Prophet passed away, there were many, many fitan, many challenges that came into the ummah. So when somebody passed away and there would be a janaza, in today's time, what you do, you pick your phone up and you, Huzayfa by, you'll find Huzayfa by his number. Salaam alaikum. Huzayfa by? Janaza ma jawana Are you going to go to the janaza? Abjainke? Janaza? He goes, name. I say Radhani. Okay, I understand. So people would ask Huzayfa, are you going to that janaza? And Huzayfa would go, no, I'm not going to the janaza. They don't listen. Oh, maybe that person was a munafiq. That's why. So later on when challenges would come, people would see what does Hudayfa do? We're going to follow Hudayfa because he knew the secrets. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, forget about finding about other people. He would follow him around and say, is my name on that list? This is how the Sahaba were. They balanced their hope and their fear. Now somebody could say, somebody could say, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu was told by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abu Bakr fil jannah, Umar fil jannah, Uthman fil jannah, Ali fil jannah, Abdul Rahman fil jannah. But he was given direct certificate of paradise by the Prophet Interesting question, it's a good question. When Umar was in his final moments and passing away, somebody entered into the room and said exactly the same thing. Umar, the Prophet gave shahada for you. He said, you're going to go to paradise. Umar said, well, that was when I was alive, when the Prophet was alive. After he passed away, I've done other deeds. What if I've done some wrong deeds? He goes, I don't want anything big. All I want is I just want him to balance out. You know, my good deeds and bad deeds, even if they balance out, I'd be happy with it. Who is this? Omar bin Khattab. I would just want to break even. If I break even, that should be fine. So this was Sayyiduna Omar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So now he says, let's get back to what we were speaking about. Okay, we've gone here and there. Let's come back. We keep coming back. What are we speaking about? We're speaking about the sickness and the cure. It was a sin and we need to cure that. So he's saying to us now that the sickness and the cure, this is how it works. So you've learned that there's a means 
under an effect. There's a cause under an effect. So what we learn over here, فَمِمَّا يَنْبَغِي أَنْ يَعْلَمْ أَنَّ الْذُنُوبْ تَذُرْ وَلَا The main thing now we learn is sins harm a person, regardless whether you can see or not. And he says, just like poison harms the body, whether you know or not. If, for example, if this is bottle of water, can I have the water? If this is bottle of water, right? Now, if there's poison in here, I don't know. It looks fine to me. This, if there's poison in here or not, I don't know. If I drink this water, although I don't know there's poison in here, will it harm me or not? It's good. Yes, it will. Of course it will. So in the same way, the Prophet has told us, for example, that the gaze, the evil gaze, is one of the poisonous arrows of shaitan. If you look towards a non-mahram, for example, whether it be somebody on the street, whether it be in a magazine, whether it be on a movie, or whether it be on a porn site, it doesn't matter. If you look at the non-mahram, okay, even if it's for two seconds, and then you turn away, okay, you've turned away, but that poison is in there. That poison's come to you. It's a poisonous gaze. We have to know this knowledge. He's saying this is the poison's going to affect you. You can do tawbah. You can ask Allah to forgive you, but the poison will definitely harm you. The poison's not going to go away. Just like the water. Okay? You didn't know, or you drank it by mistake. Okay, that's not your fault. Okay? You make tawbah afterwards. Allah says if you do a sin, bijaharatin. Okay, you can make tawbah, but the poison will stay inside you. Two days later, if you can't wake up for fajr, or you're having problems, okay, in your house, you think, you think, what's going on? Like, why, why do I feel so messed up? Well, it's the poison. And, and every poison is different. As we know, poison in the world is different. Some are strong, some kill you. Some make you ill and sick. Some you can overcome. Some it takes maybe a year to recover from. And some you can't recover from at all. So because every sin has a poison in it. And the poison level of poison is different. This is a clear one where the Prophet says that the gaze is a poisonous arrow from the arrows of Iblis. You look at something wrong, whether you know or not, that poison has come inside you. It's going to affect you. And this is what he's telling us. We need to understand this. Now he comes to a point where he tells us, look into the lives of the people of the past to understand the cause and the effect. What is the topic we're discussing? Sin. Sin. Now he asks a question. He says, what was the cause of Adam salam and his wife, meaning your mother and father, being taken out of paradise? What was the cause? I'm asking you this question. Think about it. What was the cause? What was the cause that took Iblis out of paradise, who was the leading jinn, and he had such a high position in the court of Allah? What was the cause? What was the cause? What was that that caused the people of Nuh to be drowned? What was it that caused, he's going on to say, that caused the people of Ad and Thamud to be destroyed by the winds? What was the cause? And what was it that caused the people of Lut that destroyed them and it caused them to be totally annihilated? What was it that caused? He gives an example of the Bani Israel. The Bani Israel, Allah set upon them Nabuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king from Iraq, and he came and he totally annihilated Jerusalem. And he took the Israelites into, uh, he killed many of them. And many of them he took as captives. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about them. That I, we sent them upon you. Why? What was the cause? What, what, what is the cause? Tell me. What was the cause for all of these? Disobedience and sins. Disobedience and sins. Nothing else. 
cause and effect in this world, if you commit a sin, if you disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's going to affect you here in the world and it's going to affect you in the hereafter as well. One of the immediate results of committing a sin, that your risk becomes less. It has a knock-on effect on your sustenance straight away. Some people think, why have why, why we got so many financial difficulties? It's because of sins. It has, a, it has a very strong connection. So this is now Imam Ibn al-Qayyim is now going to speak to us about the effect of sins. And he's going to go into detail and telling us about the effect of sins, how dangerous and harmful sins are. But before he goes on to tell us this, he has a whole section. We're only going to mention one hadith. We've got many, many hadith where he speaks about and he speaks about ulama. And he speaks about ulama and he says that there is a disservice ulama carry out because of which certain ulama, may Allah protect us all, certain ulama will be punished on the day of judgment because of this. The purpose of the ulama he mentions is that ulama are in this world to tell people the benefit of doing good deeds and the harms of disobedience and sins. This is their duty and responsibility. They need to guide people towards good and stop them from evil. He's saying a time is going to come. The Prophet has spoken ill of such ulama who stop advising people to do good and don't stop them from evil. And what happens is the hadith says, يَخْرُجُ فِي آخر الزمان. At the end of time, you're going to get a group of ulama. الدُّنْيَا بِالدِّينَ They will mix the deen and the dunya together. يَلْبِسُونَ لِلنَّاسِ مُسُوكَ الدَّعْضَانِ مِنَ الْلِينَ They will wear very simple clothing. أَلْسِنَتُهُمْ أَحْلَى مِنَ السُّكَّةِ Their tongue will be sweetened and sugar. So their talk will be very sweet. They will dress very simply. وَقُلُوبُهُمْ قُلُوبُ الدِّعَارِ But their hearts will be like the heart of wolves. يَقُولُ اللَّهَ عَزَّ وَجَلْ أَبِي يَفْتَرُونَ are you fooling people in my name? Allah will call this ulama on the day of judgment and say, you're fooling people in my name just because you wanted to get paid. You didn't tell people what was haram, what was wrong. You stayed away from warning people. The whole job of the ulama is to drive people to do good deeds and stop them from sin. This is a group of ulama are going to come before the end of times and they will stop advising people against committing sins. Why? Because they just want to be popular. They want to have a good name. They don't want to upset anybody. So the Prophet says, on the day of judgment, Allah is going to say that what you had audacity over me, that you mixed the religion and you only showed one side of the religion to the people and you didn't tell the other side to the people. It says that what will happen? Allah says, I will send such a fitna upon certain of those ulama. Even the most forbearing of them, it's going to leave them confused. They're going to lose their minds because they mix the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And now, that is for the ulama, but for us, for the general people, we need to look for the pathways of good and the pathways of evil. Learn what they are and try and stay away from the evil and do as much good deeds as possible. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the understanding. From here onwards now, he's going to go into the detail of the effects of committing sins. Next session, inshallah, will be tomorrow morning after Salat al-Fajr. Fajr Salat is at 5 or 5. Wa akhir da'wana. And alhamdulillah,